dangerous virus is spreading rapidly in China. China. The National Institute of More than 4,100 died from COVID. You see the death. New virus Our fear is that the Dow will drop and drop quickly. And we're which is what you might be looking at right now. The circuit breaker is very little. There was looting underway nearby. The growing political polarization in America is hard to ignore. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Three Words, a bite-sized podcast about the simple and strategic choices that I can make, that you can make, that we all can make in order to become the very best version of ourselves. My name is Dr. Michael Brown. I am the host of Three Words, and today we are in a series, Country in Crisis. This is our third of three conversations. The first conversation was, is crisis inevitable? The second conversation was, is truth knowable? Today is where the rubber meets the road, where it gets really, really practical. I'm here with my dear friend yet again, Steve Risky, historian, thought leader, a brilliant, um, honestly, human being who I listen to, I have been mentored by, I, I lean into and try to really understand as I grapple with the big issues of the world. But today, we're going to wrap up this series with an honest, raw, and real conversation about these three words. Is unity possible? So we've acknowledged, Steve, that we are a country in crisis. We've talked about the fact that crisis is inevitable, that we find ourselves in challenging times, that we are at times dealing with different sets of facts and Mm -hmm. looking around us. There's so much happening. The question needs to be asked, is unity even possible? What do you think? All right. So I think a great starting point is going to go right down the center of what your podcast has been about. And it's what lens do we use Hmm. to think about what ought to be? Okay. Okay. So there is a, a lens, and I'll go to your lens third, because we always say the best for last, right? <laughs> but there's a lens that we might call like a shame lens. Uh, it tends to look at the world and says, here's a set of rules. If you do it, you're good or bad. You are, um, if you, you're shameful, and if you're not in it, we'll use shame to try to shove you back. And religion often sort of gets loaded under that, right? Like this way of dealing with people. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, And then there might be another lens that is what we'll call a libertine one that says, you just do you, man. Whatever your feelings tell you is good, it must be good. Pursue it to the hilt. Hmm. You're the author of you. Make make your own life good. That's a libertine narrative. And then there's a health narrative. The health narrative would say, this is the third one, we're looking for you to be well. Hmm. So let me use- That's um, my lens, right? Yes, absolutely. That's <laughs> what course. you're always looking, right? Yeah. So let's talk about weight for a moment, right? So there's this notion out there called fat shaming because what we'll do is we might look at a person who is is overweight and say something like, oh, they're bad or we can make fun of them or whatever. This this way of you can see how shame narrative seeks to make them feel bad about themselves as some way of sort of fixing things. Mm-hmm. And of course, it, it doesn't work, Right. Right. And then what we're seeing is often the libertine narrative says, no, it's beautiful. Fat is beautiful. You may have seen that, right? And it's a way of saying, you do you to the max. If that's what you want to be, it's yours. And you can make you happy right there. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Mm. Well, a health narrative might say, I don't know if, you know, we'll go you know, to the extreme. I don't know if diabetes is going to work out for you. 
I don't know if the physical aches and pains in your back not being able to handle it and you dying early are going to work out for you. I don't have to shame you. I don't have to make you feel bad. I don't, I, I want well for you. I like right, you. I don't right, need right. you to be rejected. But we can look and say what actually is health and move toward it. Mm. Right. Um, and, and, and we would love for that. Right. We, we would love for people to be robustly healthy, not societally ideal. You see the difference. And, and, and if we begin to use that lens, we can begin to see some of the problems the other lenses cause. Okay. Uh, libertine free will has this problem. So did you ever, did you ever in English class, did you ever have to, uh, a teacher say, write me a page on anything you want to? <laughs> right. And when I asked this question, people are always like, yes, with a nervous laugh, they hated it. Yeah. I want at least a subject to go toward, right? Well, in so many ways, a whole generation has been raised saying, your life is a blank sheet of paper. Only you can decide what should be on it. And only you can make you happy. And that sounds so free at first until you realize, wait a minute, what if I don't know what to write on it? Well, then you'll never be happy. If you don't, if you don't decide on just the right major or just the right job, if you don't do just the right combination to make you happy, well, it's only going to be, it's all on you, man. And what we're seeing is an epidemic of anxiety that comes from freedom without any direction from the community to say, I think this is what it could look like. Interesting. Right? Okay. A health narrative tends to say, as you write your life, and this is what this podcast has done. As you write your life, I have suggested, now you're not yep. looking to use shame narrative on anybody, right? That, that religious and everyone who disagrees with me, let them be called the sinners and the outcasts. You're just saying, hey, really, your feelings might not point you toward this, but health is going to be here. I promise. I just want to be right. Yeah. Health yeah. narrative, right? Well, how does that play into unity, right? I can't wait to hear. This is awesome. Okay. But once I have a health narrative, because I've got to recognize in many ways, conservatism tends to use shame narrative. And in many ways, progressivism tends to use libertine narrative. Hmm. And both of them have reason to look askance at the other. Like, is that working out? Is it? I mean, is it really? Mm-hmm. And we might look at Bill Gates and say, surely if we gave money to everybody, well, is that guy perfectly nice? No, not perfectly happy. And, and, we, and we, right, right. we shuffle around like humans always have. But as we ask the question, yeah, but what could be health together? We then say, okay, a society. So remember my, my spectrum that I've been using across all three that I've left in tension the whole time between a monolithic, this is the only way, like an ism, ism rule, right? Sure, sure. Or ultimate, you know, like everyone do what they want to do. Where those two cross in the middle and where humans have found the most prosperity has tended to be where we give as most freedom as possible and the most justice as possible. Mm, Freedom plus justice. Well, and they tend to, right? Because remember, the perfect system would create perfect justice. Yeah. Only the problem with going too far in that direction is we've tended to choose isms that have really caused Mm -hmm. a lot of, right? So that's a difficult to go too far off to, you know, like uh, people are afraid that the church is going to rule or this is going to rule or whatever is going to rule. And one of the reasons for crisis right now is everyone's terrified and ism that they don't want is about to rule. We we are moving. We're pushing toward, hey, I'm right, you're wrong ism a little bit more than we were for a while. We're terrified of that, right? And so people are shoving back. But as we push back toward freedom... You libertarians out there, you know, and I, I like libertarianism. I think it has a lot to offer as a political, not as a philosophy, but as a political way of thinking. But it's this. 
we have to make sure that we look outside ourselves. It's not just about me, mm-hmm. but across the board and ask, is it really just? Is it really like if I would I be happy to be in any person's situation? And I think if we did that, if we said, would I be happy to be in any person's situation? Could I start from any person's starting point and get to a place of robust well-being? I think we know that some are placed in a really, really advantageous spot. And mm. others are based on how we develop the society for a whole host of reasons. They're not. And I think we know it. And I think we could do a lot to say our society would be way more well-being across the board, way more unified if we laid down some of our, not even some of our rights necessarily, but some of our right. Ah, (laughs) Right? So hear me out. I don't need you to lose your freedom of speech or something like that. But I would love for you to say, I don't need to be right. This is why the last one was about. If I'm not right in every sec, second in every second and every moment of the day and say, can I look through another person's lens? Can I try it out? You know, the so-called walk a mile in another man's yeah, shoes type absolutely, mentality. Absolutely. Absolutely. I will see places where I completely missed it. Mm-hmm. And I will, if I have any good, uh, any uh, goodness about myself, I will want for things to change. And it won't, it won't be feel like laying down my rights. What it'll do is it'll be feel like picking up another person's well-being. And it will be fun. It really can be fun. But the problem, and we use the philosophical word from the last session of epistemological humility, that idea that I don't know everything and I have to yeah. be, it causes me, and this is one of your favorite words, to become, I've been a friend of Michael's a long time, <laughs> to become curious. Curiosity causes me to go tell me more about that. Yes. And as we ask those questions, we come to discover, oh my goodness, it isn't as it should be. We can do better. Mm-hmm. And what we'll find ourselves doing is wanting it to be better. But if we go the other route and say, I'm just going to try to schlep isms on you, even isms I agree with, like anti-racism, I tend to agree with that. You know, not every, I don't agree with everything from everybody, but I tend to agree with it. But when it's used as a shame narrative, mm. no, it's, it, as opposed to a health narrative, or when, when freedom's used as a, a as a, a way to say, I get to do what I want. I don't care if it hurts you as opposed to how does it make us healthy? Yes. This is where we lose unity. And you've used the term, it's fun. And I found that, Mm -hmm. Steve, in my own Mm -hmm. life, the more I walk a mile in another shoes and the more I stay curious. And and, and even even after the uh, brutal murder murder of George Floyd, I began to reach out individually Mm -hmm. to brown and black brothers and sisters all over the country and just listened. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I was curious, is, is what are their experiences as men and women of color in, in our nation? And just listen to stories. And um, it, Because I, I'm not nervous, nor am I worried mm-hmm. that my perspective will shift based upon the power of story and suffering and struggle. I, I, I'm very open to evolving and changing my mind about things and, and, and owning when I'm wrong. But it seems like not only is it fun... It's selfless because I have to be able to say, I care as much and at times more about your well-being than my own. I mean, imagine a scenario where we all did that. And I'm not by any means perfect at that, but as a family, we really try to think that way Mm -hmm. and and to to process life through that lens. And it seems like in this day and age, 
what I'm hearing, and that's why I'm sometimes asking, is unity possible? It's, it's all about me. Me, my people, my friends, my family, regardless of what's happening outside of there. And, and But then we, I'm hearing people spin it, and, and I'll spin it even myself, right? To spin it, to be like, well, but what I'm living and what I'm proposing is really the best for everyone if they would just do these things. But you are selling health narrative. You are saying if you are using another narrative, I don't know what will work out for you. It it is. But you don't do it in a way that uses shame on people. You just say, I I think it's this. Come with me. Try it out. Notice the humility you're trying to put into there. Hmm. And yet saying, I'd like to advance this idea with some humility, but I think it can work. Uh, You mentioned this. In in our town, uh, I, I had a chance to meet this last summer a young man named Anthony King who runs an organization called Brave. His his vision, right? Mm-hmm. If you would have said to me 20 years ago, uh, oh, there's a group in town, there's a black advocacy group, I'd be like, oh, I would have instinctively, without without any critical thought to it, just mm-hmm. sort of the, the thought that would appear in my mind, would have been like, oh, yeah, those people who just want to fight us, they're angry about everything, and they were right. I, I would have I would have had a picture. Mm-hmm. I, would, I might not even have known where it came from. I just would have had this picture. So I get the chance to meet this young man and I see his vision for a town where black people would enjoy living, where there would be some restaurants that have great uh, soul food. There would be uh, a barber where uh, a person, because, you know, I found out that white, white barbers don't cut black hair very well and, 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 you know, the sorts of things. And, and, and his vision Mm. was so exciting. Like there was no anger in it. There was no like, you know, uh, hatred or there was just this really robust vision and what it brought to my mind is i'm from the cleveland area and cleveland has all these leftover ethnic neighborhoods you can go to little italy and have killer italian food it's really fun to go to little italy and and on the near west side there's like there's still polish village remnants and you can get pierogies at the west side market Mm. that are out of this world you can right go to these places i don't need to be polish to go there I don't need to be Italian. I don't need them to stop being Polish or Italian. We enjoy one another, right? Mm-hmm. And I had to stop, man alive. Wouldn't it be fun if in our town, African-American ethnicism was yes. able to thrive? Well, I could never have done that if I let my former picture reject it out of hand. Mm. So instead, just because of the, the privilege of getting to have dinner with this man and hearing his vision, I think to myself, this is fun. I can't believe how fun it is. I'm all on board. What can I do? Yeah. Because I can't wait to eat at that restaurant. You know what I mean? Like uh, yep, yep. freedom to be us, to not have a monolithic worldview, but where that crosses with robust pictures of justice. How do we look carefully to one another's well-being? That is in, in the best shot we have at any meaningful unity here. So do you feel like, is there any paradigm? Is there any perspective or um, worldview in which every American, if I can use that term, within our country, we're talking about a country in crisis, can live the good life and can be well? Mm -hmm. Um, You made some comments earlier about this notion that regardless of the ism, there is going to be an outcast. And we need to be honest about that. I'm perplexed. Uh, Talk to me more about that. Well, what I said is regardless of the ism, there have been. Okay. Ooh, right? Yeah. Uh, to say, like, whatever you pick. I mean, I'm... I'm but you were talking about this notion of let's be honest with ourselves. You know, we're talking mm-hmm. about we believe, you know, 
opportunity versus outcomes and so forth. Talk, I want to hear more about that. Mm -hmm. So, well, because I just looked at history, right? Yeah. I looked at history and said, well, communism, Nazism, and even like Christianity when it's tried to be a monolithic cultural force. And I'm a Christian. And I think I, I truly believe, notice on the believe level, we want to write that Jesus's teachings correctly taught and correctly lived would be the ultimate justice. It self promises that, right? And then you'd say, well, well, then why hasn't Christianity delivered? Because I don't get the opportunity to say, hey, look, we went over here and did it. Why didn't you all see it, right? We failed miserably at points. Mm. So notice what we do there. Even at the my belief system, which I treasure, and I think has so much to offer, I still have to have that humility to say, but it hasn't always worked out so well. What's going on there? Mm. We keep talking. We keep listening. And we keep dreaming. But we also have to examine uh, have you ever heard that, like, the, the unexamined life is not worth living? Of course, right? of course. Um, we have to examine not just outcomes, but even the assumptions that are underneath them. And that's tough to do. Most people are not very good at really working through their assumptions mm -hmm. to figure out where they went awry. And they take those assumptions and they bring them into discussions as defaults. Like, well, of course this is a thing. And if anybody goes, well, what do you mean, of course? That's very threatening. Like, well, yes. But what assumptions get challenged and how do we do that? And when anybody does that, that's where you find the most difficult conversations. And you were saying even that disunity earlier is often found in different definitions. Yes. And so forth. Yeah. So uh, Professor Ruschling, uh, in my counseling, I have a master's in clinical counseling. I didn't like the clinical part of the counseling. I love, I love what I learned though. And this professor's brilliant. And I don't know if he was quoting somebody else or if it's him, but I have to quote it to him because that's where I heard it. Okay. He said, 90% of disagreement takes place on the level of definition. Hmm. Uh, we'll use as an example, and I want to be careful with this, but really, you hear the phrase black lives matter. And one person uses it to mean something like, hey, there is no disputing that historically across the United States that the lives of black people have not mattered that they and their bodies and, the, and their lives and their and, and an easy example would be like when when the drug war hit the black community and the, the crack epidemic we saw it with criminality and jail and 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 we viewed and people would use words like animals to describe that phenomenon when the exact same thing hit the white community with heroin we use words like medicine and those poor kids <laughs> and, 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 and the way and, and very little jailing, right? Very little imprisonment. And well, I would be very reasonable for a person of color to look at that and say, come on, can't, right? And, and they'd be right. Black lives haven't mattered. And for someone to stand up and say, hey, I think we should say that, right? Well, then another person might look and say, well, that organization started in California as a communist group. They're very self-avowed with their, yeah, yeah. with their, right. And I refuse to be a part of any socialist communist group, et cetera, et cetera. And like, what are you, you're not signing a membership card. Someone might say, but literally this, these three words, it couldn't be more obvious that it's, oh no, each person says it and means a radically different thing. Yeah. Well, that's an easy example because it's so clearly apparent right now. Mm -hmm. But when we say things like God, when we say words like justice, when we say even words like health, 
and and the two people don't mean the same thing that they say it the conversation just each time right mm -hmm. and boy it happens a lot so what do we do about that we listen and we talk more and we stop jamming our definitions over each other yeah and i think we do it because we're afraid that's what that's what i was thinking at the root of it it sounds there's fear yeah totally. uh, as, as i talk with individuals even you talk about the midwest but i'm so connected to so many people around the country and you know, I, I'm interacting with folks who would say, yeah, system, systemic racism exists for sure. Mm -hmm. And then I, I'm interacting with, with very dear friends and family members who say systemic racism does not exist. All of which have a deep love and care for our brown and black brothers and sisters and mm -hmm. wanting justice. And, but there's difference of conversations and, and, and some of it flows out of fear. I hear this, you know, oh, the world is changing so rapidly around me. It's not the world we used to have, right? Mm -hmm. Or if I, if we go down this path, what are we going to lose, right? Well, What's going to happen to us if we actually say Black Lives Matter, if we actually say, you know, uh, we want to create more economic opportunity or what, what, what's, and I think that's some of what mm -hmm. I hear is like, if we acknowledge this one thing, we're going to open the floodgates of mm -hmm. disaster. So you use systemic racism, right? It doesn't exist. And so you ask a person who believes in it and say, well, give me an example. And they might say something like our education system. The other person would say, that's not systemic racism. Okay. And, and one thing that you, if you're in that kind of a conversation, by the way, what you can do then when that happens is say, okay, what do you call this phenomenon that the education offered to black people is radically different than the op, uh, education offered to white people? What's your title for that? Right. Cause they actually agreed on the facts. That's a about, great question. Right. Yeah, I mean, they actually agreed on the facts about, okay, we probably admit that the educational opportunities are not the same. Well, that's not systemic racism. Right. Well, okay. Well, what do you call it? Let's talk about what are you going to call it? And so, but when we just say, no, I, I, I demand to use titles, even though we don't mean the same things about them. I'm like, all right, but I intend to talk about the thing that, was meant by it. Mm. What's your title for it? I'm willing to use your word as long as we're talking about the substance of the thing. That was very practical, Steve. Yeah. So that's one way that we can begin to kind of break down those barriers and to mm -hmm. build unity and to understand. I mean, unity at its root is the commitment to understanding without being so afraid. Yes. Understanding without fear, mm -hmm. mutual understanding, empathy, um, without fear mm. and selfishness, yes. <laughs> right? Uh, that the world's bigger than me. Because if, if the world isn't bigger than me, then we're already in, it's dis, disunity is inevitable mm -hmm. because I'm what, only one I want for me. Well, it's going to be hard to unify with anyone with that kind of perspective. So keep talking to me about practicalities as we, as we kind of okay. turn the corner. Like what else well, can we do? Let's wrap that back around, right? Please. So why would I be afraid? What could I possibly be afraid of to say Black Lives Matter? Well, it isn't hiding there somewhere in that I may not have been a virtuous person. It's like if I allow these ideas to keep rolling at some point, am I going to find out that I was not quote in the right? And now you, this is why you've, you've been saying all day long, can I admit that I've been wrong? But that can be very fearful because I like to think of myself as a virtuous person. Almost everyone I know likes yeah. to think of themselves as the good guys in the story. And if I should find out I've been being the bad guy, well, what lens were we using? 
Because if we've allowed the shame narrative, that shame lens to be over us, I am now shameful. I am now bad. I'm not right. And boy, that lens gets used. So it, it just, it, it, we instinctively shove it back over things as opposed to, huh, take it. That wasn't very healthy. That wasn't, I, right. I, we could do this better. I, yeah. if I'm using a health narrative and I maintain it, you know, the, the Christian notion of grace fits here. That idea that like, well, of course I don't get everything right, but, but by gracefully going just toward health, we just move forward and we use, we use kindness and, 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 like we don't like try to make everybody pay for every sin, but instead we cause one another to move toward well-being mm. together. Uh, yeah, we have a lot of opportunity if the health narrative is in place. But boy, it's so easy to default to either that that shame narrative or or the libertine narrative. Who are you to tell me? Right? Yeah. I'll just I'll just I can do what I want um, without regard to the others. That's usually a lazy way of saying it was too hard to be virtuous to everybody. I'm just doing my thing. You're just going to have to take care of you. Yeah. It got too hard. Yeah. Well, and everything we're talking about, everything we've talked about in all three conversations in country and crisis, this is hard um, work that requires tremendous amount of humility, mm-hmm. uh, tenacity, um, resilience, perseverance, um, well, self-reflection, <laughs> self-assessment, empathy. It's hard, um, especially uh, if we don't have to. And mm-hmm. um, there's those of us that don't have to. Right. And there's those of us who face, you know, these things every day and they're right in our face. So I, I guess I just want to begin to turn the corner and wrap up this conversation. And I just want you to answer the question. And maybe you need to answer it with a but and how, but is unity possible? Yep. Uh, to an extent. Okay. I mean. <laughs> to an extent. Similar, so, similar so to the conversation is truth noble. Yes. To an extent. To an extent. Right. Um, so unity is a pot, uh, similar to my like cave idea that we talked about. I think it was in the last discussion where like either everyone agrees about the color of sky or we just have it. Right. Either. We all come under one actual working ism, which, you know, I think that we've found is, is difficult and dangerous, right? Uh, I like that. Difficult, but also dangerous. There's, yeah. It's not going to be good. <laughs> I mean, it's, commun- uh, it, it's funny because we think about Nazism as being so evil. If you lived inside it and, and, and it hadn't gone to war, especially if it hadn't gone to war, right? If you lived inside it, it was quite prosperous. And you got rid of all these people who make life difficult, like people with mental handicaps and the like. It, it might have seemed self-evidently quite good. That's like one of the, uh, Hitler didn't think he was being evil. Hitler thought he was making the perfect society. Isms are dangerous. Yeah. Right. Uh, but, or we recognize, Hey, listen, we have a lot of isms at play. If we have some, um, some humility, and an actual ability to continue to watch carefully and listen to one another, that we're not running one another over. We can, we can have sort of, um, uh, although it'll never be perfect, although it can't be perfect, right? But we can have what we would think of as civil unity, a decent enough ground that a decent, or like that, that most people will have some fair access to it. 
It won't be perfect. It will never be. As soon as you demand it be really to the perfect, you're, you've come under a singularism to do it. Yeah. Which is dangerous, right? Uh, but I think we can have reasonable unity. Hmm. Yeah. Where we, but we lose it when fear reigns. So we you look at it. the world right now, hmm. the beginning of 2021, January 2021, when you look at this world right now, um, is there any final words where you're like, here's what we can do on a local, in my family, in my, cause there's this unity among families right now. Yeah. There's this unity among friendships that have mm -hmm. been fantastic for years among communities. Well, other thoughts beyond what we've talked about where you're like, do this now. Um, well, I think what you might recognize if you paid attention is you thought it was worth going to war for your worldview, for the thing that you thought was good. And, and you thought it was worth doing because you thought it would actually bring well-being. Hmm. But you can't bring well-being to your local world. Like, why do you think that you can extend that across the whole world where you can't even do it in one small little enclave? Hmm. That might bring uh, some humility to, huh, I can't make it work in this group of six, eight people. But I, I'm sure that I know how to rule all 330 million of us. Interesting. That might say, that might be the humility you're looking for. But listen, and actually, and that, that professor, professor Ruchling's challenge, pay attention to how you define words. You might find that you actually agreed. You just define things yeah. different. Listen, ask questions. Don't respond out of fear. I am so thankful to have spent this time with my dear friend, Steve Risky. And I hope you have been encouraged and inspired and quite honestly challenged, maybe even a little unsettled because of our conversations, three conversations around this notion of living in a country in crisis. There's some big ideas. I think we've offered some very practical steps. And even this conversation today, is unity possible? Steve has answered that question, yes to a point, the point to which we're willing to roll up our sleeves, to uh, get our hands dirty, to actually own our choices, to love our neighbors, to have the hard conversations, to maintain a posture of humility and empathy and kindness, no matter the cost, and to look beyond the me to the we. We are an imperfect union. Our country will never be perfect. And yet there's so much work that can be done. And there's so much hope. Would you join me and Steve and those of us who are connected to Three Words Podcast to be a force of positive change, to reject divisiveness and anger and war making and finger pointing and together that we would be able to turn the corner to no longer have a country in crisis, but a country that we are proud to be a part of. Thanks so much. For life coaching, consulting services, or to hire a keynote speaker, please visit dmbcoaching.com.